starting in May, here in Pittsburgh, you can get a tiki boat tour down the three rivers. That's right, a floating BYOB tiki hut will take you on a tour of the three rivers around the point. No word yet on whether or not the tours will be allowed to disembark on days when Tyler Glass now pitches at home, though. Those flying home run balls out of PNC Park over the Allegheny could be dangerous and an insurance risk. For the second time in the past few days, a local woman faked an illness to get a ride in an ambulance. Is this a thing now, like Uber by ambulance? If so, why didn't Bo Bennett think of this while he was a penguin? He never would have had to pay cab fare once in his life. Pitt just introduced Jeff Capel as its new basketball coach today. Two years ago, they did the same thing with Kevin Stallings, and in his presser, Stallings actually said, I don't expect to be here for 17 years like I was at Vanderbilt, but I hope I'm not just here for three. He was right. He was only here for two. Let's hope the Capel stint goes a little bit better. One other story before we get to the Penguins here. The NFL Network is reporting that Le'Veon Bell's contract demands have actually gone up to $17.5 million a year like Antonio Brown's. My God, the price of Pineapple Express really has gone up, hasn't it? Or maybe he's just smoking too much of it already if he thinks he's getting $17.5 million a year. I'm Tim Benz. I'm in for Mark Madden. This is 105.9 The X, and we're going to get to all those stories with Mark when he joins us at 315 from Vegas. Whenever I'm in for Mark, Mark basically just allows the news of the week to compile, and when he can't take it anymore without sounding off, then we call him in Vegas. That's the general rule of thumb, and we'll be doing that today in just a few minutes. So let me, in the interim, get a few thoughts off of my chest about the Penguins the way they played last night. You can get some off of your chest as well if you're a Penguin fan and you're upset about what you saw yesterday, and my God, you should be. You know, when I said yesterday that I wanted to see a 4-1 lead and then just cruise on to victory, I meant Pittsburgh over Detroit, not the other way around. What was that? No team has been worse in the NHL than Detroit since the end of February, just 1-12-1 entering last night. But it's tough to imagine a team being worse than Pittsburgh was last night. City Crosby scored 38 seconds into the game, and the Penguins acted like the game was over. It wasn't. Detroit tied it late in the first. Crosby had a great chance early in the second. That went awry. Then he had a stuff shot reviewed that was deemed to have not gone into the net. I'm 50-50 on that one. I don't think there was enough evidence to overturn it. But from that point on, all Red Wings. Do you know how hard of a sentence that is for my mouth to form? All Red Wings? Saying all Red Wings this year is like saying all Browns. All Memphis Grizzlies, all pit basketball. It just doesn't happen. They just blew out the Penguins from there. Mike Sullivan afterwards was appropriately pissed. Here, take a listen to Sully after the game last night in Detroit. Well, we, we had a, there were moments in the game, especially in the first couple of periods, we had some offensive zone time, but we're not getting pucks through. You know, we're not getting pucks to the net. And then we've got to get people to the net and, and create some some offense off of the spray. And, uh, you know, I thought we had some zone time. We had some possession time, but, you know, not a whole lot to show for it. And, uh, you know, when teams defend hard, you 
you know, you got to get into the hard areas. You got to get inside the dots. You got to be willing to go to the net and take a cross check and and uh, look to get a stick on a puck or or get your nose over it for a rebound. And uh, I didn't think we were willing to do that tonight. And okay, I hear that. I get that. But that's just kind of typical hockey coach speak, isn't it? Go to the dirty areas. Get the greasy goals. Pay the price. Coaching cliches abound. It may be true. In fact, yeah, it is true. But you know why Sullivan is talking about that there? You know why Sullivan is focusing on that? Because that's something that can be fixed. That's something that oftentimes the Penguins do do well and do cash in on. Like, Sidney Crosby scores goals from there. Patrick Hornquist scores goals from there. Now that Zach Aston Reese is coming back, he'll score goals from there. That's something that can be addressed. So let's focus on that so that the Penguins... When they do those things better, it looks like the coaching message is getting across. That's what that is. But I'm going to disagree with Sullivan. If Sidney Crosby pushes that puck another two inches past Jimmy Howard in the Detroit net, he's not talking about that. If that defenseman doesn't clip sticks with Sid on that open net to start the second period, Sullivan isn't talking about that. Because then they've got three goals on the board. What Sullivan isn't addressing there is the utter lack of effective defense. It's 26 shot blocks from Detroit to 9 from Pittsburgh. It's a complete lack of proper defensive zone coverage. It's goaltending that isn't as sharp as last year. It's poor wall play in their own zone and an inability to get the puck out of the zone. It's a PK that's become increasingly ineffective since the trade deadline. That stuff isn't going to fix itself. There are going to be nights where they're going to score goals in the dirty areas. Mike Sullivan isn't going to talk about that other stuff, though, because he knows darn well there's no answers there. And that's the alarming part to me. He can't just make that nasty scowl, grit his teeth, burp out some angry sound bites, and make it look like Sully's firing up the boys. But when he talks about scoring goals in the dirty areas, if they do that a couple times against New Jersey, then it looks like the message was heard. But that other tactical stuff I just outlined defensively, he can't fix that right now. The Penguins just aren't a talented enough defensive team. They struggle against Atlantic Division teams for whatever reason. They're awful on the road. Matt Murray hasn't been as good this year as he was last year for injury and personal reasons, I'm sure. But you know, Sully can't fix that stuff right now, and I don't know if the answers are within the room either. What do you think? 412 3-3-3, The Penguins are just a, you know, I don't know, at a point where those deficiencies exist, and they're going to have to overcome them in other ways. It, it, it kind of reminds me of the Steelers at the end of last season. Shazier got hurt, the defense stunk, so the Steelers were either going to outscore the other team or the Steelers were going to lose. That's simple, and I, I think there's an element of that right now with the Penguins, too. The Penguins are either going to out-talent you on offense and win 5-4 or 4-3, probably just at home, or they're going to lose, especially on the road. And I don't know how you fix that. Now, maybe you're of the opinion that this is just because the Penguins are bored with the regular season. Maybe you're of the opinion that they're grinding here towards the playoffs, and that's why the style of play that they've had so far has been so fragmented. Win-loss, win-loss, win-loss for the last nine games. But I think that's too easy of an explanation. To just say they're bored, to just say they're trying to get to the postseason, that's a little too convenient 
Because if you're saying that, then you also might be challenging some of the other complaints that I heard about the team after the Broussard trade was mentioned. Like when we were leading up to the Broussard trade and coming out of the Broussard trade, Ian Cole was gone. And in between the Broussard trade and the actual deadline itself, when they didn't get another defenseman to replace Ian Cole as a sixth or seventh guy, I heard a lot of, well, are they going to be good defensively enough? And right now they're not. So if we're shifting the narrative, then we're moving the goalposts. You know what I mean? If we're changing the talking points, then we're changing the tone of what we're thinking and feeling. You know, I think a lot of the concerns about the Penguins after the trade deadline have been proven to be true. And now to just dismiss what we had talked about before and say, ah, they're bored and waiting for the playoffs, I think we might be whistling past the graveyard a bit. I think 100% it's obvious that this year is going to be a different kind of challenge for Pittsburgh to overcome going into the playoffs than it was last year. Last year, it was a challenge because they were trying to overcome the loss of Chris Letang on defense. Right now, they've got Chris Letang, but I don't know still if they're on the right page defensively enough to meet the challenge of just getting to the Stanley Cup final again. Here's a little bit more from Sullivan after the game last night. Well, you know, it, it, as I've said all along here, that we're fighting for our life to, for a playoff spot. And, uh, and you know, nothing's inevitable in this game. We've got to go out and earn it every day. And it doesn't matter who your opponent is. Every game is hard to win. This is a hard league. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we've got to, we're going to have another difficult one in the next game. It's, uh, it's just the nature of the league, especially at this time of year. So... We've got to find a way to come together as a group and, and make sure that we learn from this experience and, and be ready for the next one. And so you tell me, as the show goes along, we'll talk to Mark when we come back. I'll open up the phone lines later on in the 3 o'clock hour. If you're someone who thinks that the excuse of, well, it's March, they're going to break the playoffs probably anyway, despite what you just heard there from Sullivan, that's a good enough excuse, okay, then it's a kind of a boring show, and I'll just talk about Le'Veon Bell wanting $17.5 million then. I mean, like I, I sort of get into this rub sometime with Penguin fans where, let's talk hockey, it should be hockey all the time, you're the voice of the Penguins, you're the flagship of the Penguins. Okay, well then let's talk about it. Let's talk about why they've lost more games than they've won over the last nine. Let's discuss. But if you just want to say, oh, they're bored and they're waiting for the playoffs, okay, I'll talk about where the Pirates are going to stink this year. I'll talk about Jeff Cable. I'll talk about Le'Veon Bell. Uh, let, let's talk about why they don't look like a team that's going to repeat right now if you want to talk about hockey, because I don't know how else you want to approach it. We'll do that when we come back. We'll talk to Mark. We'll talk about Cable, too. We'll talk about Lev Bell. We'll talk about the Penguins. He's going to join us from Vegas, and uh, we'll talk about whether or not there's good tiki tours in Vegas. That's next here on 105.9 The X. This is Chris Letang of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 DX. Joining me right now on 105.9 The X, it is the Mark Madden Show. So let's check in with Mark Madden from Las Vegas. Mark, it's been three days since you've been on the radio. So naturally, Le'Veon Bell's contract demands have gone up $1 million per day. He's up to $17.5 million. That's what he wants to be paid what are we expecting by the time you get back? Over 20? Tim, I know most media types in Pittsburgh by way of kissing the ass that is the Steelers, the most valuable ass in town, will not uh, look at Le'Veon Bell's increased demands for what they really are. And what they really are is abject stupidity. Here's a guy wanted 15 mil. The Steelers wouldn't give him that. 
So his idea of negotiating is to jack up his price by $2.5 million more <laughs> per season. He just refuses to understand that it's not a running back league anymore, and he's not going to get that from the Steelers or anybody else. I agree, and I think it's just more and more of a sign, pointing the obvious, Mark, that after they get their inside linebacker in round one, and they should and they will, there's good players that will be had there, get a good running back in round two. And I'll take that one step further, Tim, as I talked about last week. If uh, Bell doesn't show up for week one, and you're happy with the progress the running back you draft in the second or third round has made, because there's a lot of good backs in this draft, uh, a lot of potential starters uh, that could be available in the second round, and perhaps even the third. Look at Kamara last year. Uh, if Bell doesn't show up for week one, I rescind the franchise tag, and he's screwed. I would go with what I had at that point, because, Tim, he's just going over the edge. Increasing the demands, uh, I understand staying out of OTAs and minicamp, and even most of camp, and the Steelers know what's coming, so they can't, you know, complain when it shows up, or rather when Bell doesn't show up. But uh, if he misses any of the regular season, that's where you've got to cut your ties. And while that may seem like you're cutting off your nose to spite your face, at some point you've got to be the boss and Le'Veon Bell's got to be the employee, or in this case, the ex-employee. Last thing on football, Mark, then I want to get to, to some of the hockey talk from last night. I want to just get your reaction to the catch rule being changed, and more importantly, while they're making the catch rule more simple, it seems like they're making the ability to make a clean tackle more complicated. How much more physical contact can football get out of football? It's not football anymore, Tim. This rule where you can't, initiate contact with your helmet even if you have the ball. I mean, I get it. It's designed to try to protect them from lawsuits and put the blame on the player, but it's not going to be football. We're, we're real close to the game not, not being devoid of contact. It'll never be that, but uh, just, you know, just something where there's a flag on every play by way of trying to protect the players, and it's never been a game, never will be a game that protects the players. It just is what it is, and I've said this to distraction but if you want to play play if you don't want to play don't mark madden joining us from vegas normally here three until six on the x your home for the penguins who lost last night to the awful red wings mark i understand that they are just reaching for the playoffs right now grinding through the end of the regular season but of the problems that seem to have occurred during this spotty stretch of nine games where they've only won four and lost five. What are the most real problems that face the Penguins right now beyond the grind of the end of the regular season? I'm just playing poor defense. And I don't mean that as just the defensive core, the six guys on D. If Jake Gensel and Connor Sheary were any worse defensively, the minute the puck turned over, they would put on the opposition sweaters and give that team a numbers edge. They're just so awful with the puck, <laughs> so awful tracking back when the puck's turned over. And Phil Kessel's never been a bonus at that. I, I think Derek Broussard sprained his psyche trying to center Sherry and Phil Kessel. As I wrote about in the Trib, you'd have to be Bob Ganey dipped in Frank J. Salke to, to handle that defensive burden. So, so I think it's mostly uh, just the way they play defense and the overall group, not just the defenseman, but the overall group, 
just really stinking the house up on D nearly every single night. I agree with that 100%, Mark, and I want to go further into it then. How has it most manifested? It appears that that has come to pass in tons of wide-open shooting lanes for defensemen, as defensemen seem to be scoring recently at a rather alarming rate if you're Mike Sullivan. Well, Tim, that, that's my point. Guys like Gensel and Sherry lose their point, men. Yeah, and it's, it's gotten to the point where it's almost an epidemic. They just... There are so many open opportunities, like even Cronwall last night teeing off. And uh, you tell me, is that is it contributing to some of Matt Murray's problems? Has he gotten into bad habits trying to overcompensate for some of the wide open shooting lanes he's had to defend in goal? I think Murray could play a little better, but I think mostly numerically his stats are a victim of what we're talking about, the way the Penguins are playing. That said, you know his glove seems a bit suspect. Not so much shots going over him. He doesn't seem to be able to hold on to the puck with his glove. Yeah, he's not catching cleanly, is he? Yeah, it's like he's knocking the puck down, but uh, the guys won the last two Stanley Cups. You know, people love to point fingers. They're pointing them at Latang a lot as well. By the way, Jesse Marshall from TheAthletic.com uh, tweeted a moment ago uh, about, you know, uh, advanced stats that point to Latang not being the problem, not being at the top of his game either, but not being the problem that Penguins fans think he is. And, like, whenever people, like, blast Murray or blast Latang, first off, the blast the goalie stuff is just, you know, idiot fanboy 101 because it's the most obvious guy to blame. Right. And in terms of Tanger, what are the options, Tim? You're going to call that Kutchman or whatever his name is? I can't even pronounce him. Why would I want to play him on defense? Uh, Tanger's going to play 25 minutes. Let's hope he plays better. If not, they'll probably lose. It won't be just his fault, but they need a lot of things to go better, a lot of people to play better between now and the playoffs. Tim, if they make the playoffs. Well, let's I mean, talk about that. Actually, Are you concerned about that? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, Florida has like 500 games in hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, are they going to play double headers on the stretch to make up the, the games in hand? <laughs> let's it's, play it's two. Something. But, but four teams have to jump over my dot. It'll happen, but it could. It really could the way they're playing. You know, but I, that said, they've, they've lost, like, what, five out of nine? That's not precipitous, but part, part of it's been exacerbated by Columbus, like, winning, what was it, 11 straight at one point? And, and the Devils have stayed relatively hot. I think, I think tomorrow night at New Jersey is a big game because... They not only need the points, but they need to show they can beat New Jersey in case it comes to that. Yeah, and the inability to play well on the road, is it's not like they're you know playing well and losing on the road, Mark. They're playing poorly and losing to bad teams, and that's never been a concern of mine in the past when it comes to playing on the road in the playoffs. Maybe they batten down the hatches and it goes away once the postseason hits, but I feel less comfortable about this team going on the road and performing in the manner that it did last year, for instance, in a Game 7 against Washington or winning that crucial Game 6 at Tampa two years ago. Well, what they need to do now is, and I've been a proponent of this literally for weeks, months even, they need to get over the notion that Kessel, Crosby, and Malkin have to play on separate lines and load their top two lines up with their best six players make the third line with Broussard more of a checking line, and, and play it like the other teams play it, like they played it last year. They are just so in love with the notion that the three stars have to be on different lines. And, Tim, right now, with the exception of Crosby, none of the stars look like stars. Uh, before that, with the exception of Malkin, none of the stars look like stars. And the footnote to this drama, this discussion rather, is that you know they're not calling as many penalties right now and won't as the playoffs start. And a lot of the points with Malkin, Crosby, and Kessel, especially Kessel, 
were garnered on the power play. And if they're not on the power play as much, although I want to note, one reason they're not on the power play as much is because they're not playing well in traffic or enough in traffic, putting themselves in a situation to draw penalties. Mark Madden joining us from Vegas. Mark, since you left, the pit coaching search finally was done. I think they wound up with a good second choice. I would have preferred Hurley, but Jeff Capel, to me, is plenty capable of a hire. And I actually think they wound up looking better than we had a right to anticipate, say, three days ago. Now, I wonder, did they have that hire in their pocket until Duke was out of the tournament? Did they know that was a... Uh, going to happen, or at least a strong possibility? According to what happened today, no, because Capel said the first time that he got contacted was Thursday. Thursday means the day before the Sweet 16 game. So it sounds to me like, and he even referenced this when I asked him after the press conference today, Mark, he said that when they were here in Pittsburgh, he hadn't really paid attention to anything remotely concerning the pit job aside from, hey, I heard Danny Hurley probably has a shot at this or UConn. So it sounds like it was well after the Hurley offer was made that it went to Jeff Capel next. Well, I think it's a solid hire. I, I, I won't go any more than solid, though. I mean, you know, the guy didn't finish well at Oklahoma. Then again, nobody ever finishes well at any coaching job. That's why they no longer have the job. Um, I, I laugh when, you know, the Pitt faithful say, well, he's going to start recruiting one-and-dones. Uh, I don't think so. It's one thing to recruit one-and-dones for Duke quite another to recruit one and done for a team that just went 0-18 in the ACC. But uh, given the alternatives, Tim, and given how it could have turned out, I've got to give Heather like some credit. Even though she had no plan when she fired Stallings, she managed to regroup in pretty impressive fashion and, like I said, make a decent hiring capable. Now, you've you, you got to admit, though, that calling it decent, calling it a solid hire, I feel like I spit on the statue of the Virgin Mary when I say that. How can you say that? He was at Duke. He was at Oklahoma. He recruited Blake Griffin. He's the greatest hire in the history of hires. <laughs> well, excuse me if I don't uh, react like that. I think he's an okay hire, and let's see how he does. But I can't go further than decent. Oh, no, I'm with you, Mark, because that and this is how Pitt fans tend to go with stuff like this. It's, oh, my God, we're wayward. We're never going to win again. Hey, we got Jeff Capel. Isn't that great, too? Hey, he's bringing all of his Duke guys with us, right? Well, uh, you know, know, it's fans like, don't get it, get it either, that they're in a pro sports town and they don't matter. They don't matter. Okay, even if they do good, nobody's going to notice because they don't matter. But, but I have to laugh at the, the uh, flaming loyalty of Pitt fans yeah, during no, the hiring process when the Pete was two-thirds empty all last year. Uh, where were those people? Are they going to go now when they're... Owen, whatever, to kick off the... I mean, I don't think they're going to win more than a handful of ACC games, if that. Don't you agree? No, I agree, because, you know, now the, the good news is, from a lot of people's spin, is that, well, Capel's going to keep a bunch of the guys who wanted to transfer. Well, okay, that's right, the right, same the team that went 0-18. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, maybe they squeak out one if Ryan Luther stays healthy the whole time. But just to amplify your previous point, Mark, and I, I get that people want to, all of a sudden now at Pitt, defend Heather Like and defend the search because, well, they got a good guy. Well, okay, but she just admitted to, she admitted today that they, they tried to hire somebody else first. So it's not like they got their first choice. So if it's such an obvious hire, then why didn't they ask him before Dan Hurley then? Well, I would rather have Dan Hurley. So I would, would I. Have Sean Miller. Yeah, and, and I'm okay. Like, I understand that. Yeah, you don't always get your first choice, but let's not make it act, let's not act like this was some grand master plan and us dopes in the media are just now figuring it out. 
They wanted somebody else first. That's okay, but let's call it what it is and not paint a different well, picture. They were after Thad Matta. I mean, who who, who else? It, it just Crean. I, Crean, right? I still feel like this is like their number five or six choice, don't you? Yeah, there was never an official offer made, according to her, to Miller, Crean, or Mata. And I actually, I, I believe that. I, I believe that there wasn't an offer, but maybe there wasn't an offer because in a couple of those cases, they felt like they couldn't get him anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think she managed to make herself look... She thought on her feet and came good at the end, but I wouldn't say she covered herself in glory with the whole search process, would you? No, I think it could have gone easier, and if this is such a great choice, then I don't see what the problem is with making a call to an assistant coach within your conference and say, hey, we're, we're interested in talking with you, and then save the whole speculation of, well, the Buffalo guy is turning us down, the UMBC guy is turning and, and, and us down. Given, given the state the Pitts program's in, let's even say this is a great hire. How long is it going to take till this program's respectable again? I think it's going to be years and years. I think, I think you're looking at... Two years before you can even think about 500 again. Two more full seasons before you can think about respectability again. I would say five, maybe. Uh, Mark, before, before I conclude here on your show, should I talk any Pirates baseball at all as opening day approaches? Probably not. Yeah. I, I, how do I do it? How do you talk about actual baseball without talking about the, well, they let Kutch go, they let Cole go kind of, kind well, of stuff? Tim, I've got to tell you, I've, as far as not talking about it, I've always found that very easy. <laughs> but but I, I I gotta tell you, uh, I think the big thing is how many people are gonna show up because like I've been saying, attendance dropped six hundred K the last two years after they burned down the twenty fifteen team, right? I think anybody who was gonna stop going or even go a lot less has already done so. So I'm not expecting a precipitous drop in attendance and I think Dickerson's gonna replace what Kutch did roughly numerically. Mm hmm. And Garrett Cole stunk. I mean, somebody will do as bad as him or as good as him, however you'd like to phrase it. So I'm not sure it's going to be a precipitous drop in terms of a lot more losses. Do you? Uh, I, I think there'll be about five games worse. Four or five games worse. So that's not precipitous. I just don't think... It's another example of them not even trying to get better, though. And I think that's where the frustration comes in. Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm working on my call for the trip Sunday. And yes, I have to you know write my columns from out here to offset my gambling losses, which are... I mean, thanks to the Penguins for that big win last night. <laughs> Shouldn't have bet them anyway. Shouldn't have bet them. Like, I bet 300 to win 120. That's a dumb bet on my part. And then I had the friggin' uh, Flyers losing and the Blue Jackets losing in parlay. And Dallas scores first. The Blue Jackets scored the first three goals against, excuse me, Edmonton scores the first right. three goals against the Blue Jackets. And, of course, Edmonton scored the next seven. <laughs> They're still scoring right now. So there's some more money shot there. But uh, my next call is going to be, we always argue about who the greatest pirate of all time is, Tim. Who do you think it is? Uh, well, probably Wagner, but I didn't see him. So then I would say Clemente. But most talented is Bonds. The greatest baseball talent is Bonds. The best career was Clemente. the numbers. The numbers? Probably Wagner, I guess. Nope. If you look at the numbers, the best pirate ever is Ralph Kiner, and it's not even close. Because of, what, home runs? Tim, who do you think has the best OBP out of Kiner, Wagner, Clemente, and Bonds? Uh, probably Kiner. Well, yeah, you know that, because why would I ask otherwise? <laughs> right. Best, best slugging percentage? Kiner. Best OPS? Kiner. Yeah, I mean, aren't those the numbers that matter? Okay, so where are you going with it on the column, though? 
that Connor's the best pirate ever. Oh, okay. All right. Well, good enough. You know, he, he led the, he was with the team seven seasons, and he led the National League at home runs every single friggin' season. Mark, when you come back, will you be willing to take one of the floating tiki tours down the Allegheny River? Are you aware of this big news since you left? No, what, what's that? They're actually starting to float tiki huts down the Allegheny River, and you can bring your own beer onto the tiki hut and float up and down the rivers. Well, Tim, some people might wonder how you could say no to something like that, but it'd go roughly like this. No! Mark Batten, 3 until 6, each and every Monday through Friday, right here on your home for the Penguins, 105.9 The X. Check him out here and in the trim. Mark, enjoy Vegas. All right, and uh, when we come back, I thought he was still there. When we come back, um, I will open the phone lines. I, I want to talk to Penguin fans, because as we just discussed with Mark, it's pretty easy to talk about other things besides, eh, eh the playoffs are here. They're just, they're just grinding through the end of March. I, I don't want to do that. If you want to talk hockey, we have to talk about it in terms of something besides, well, it's just the end of the regular season. So of what you saw yesterday against Detroit over the last nine games against various teams, many of them bad, that have beaten the Penguins, what is bothering you the most about what you're seeing from the Penguins over these last two to three weeks? 412-333-9939. Is it defense? Penalty killing? Is it lineup combinations? What is it about the Pens game right now? Playing poorly on the road. Lack of motivation. I want to hear from you. The things that are actually alarming you about the Pens moving forward as they do approach the playoffs, we hope. 412-333-9939. I've got a list for you next here on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. No one wants to hear your life story. What do you want to say on my radio show? Hey, yo, Mike. Mark, how you doing? Call me Mike. The X at 105.9. The Penguins have lost 5 of 9. They lost to the worst team in hockey over the last month last night. What are the problems? I put out a Twitter poll for you to respond. Tim Benson for Mark Madden today on the X. 68% of you say bad overall defense. I agree with the majority here. 14% of you say bad play on the road. It's a pretty good nominee as well. 12% say goaltending. Yeah, it hasn't been as good, but not as bad as some of the other issues. And then 6% of you say PK specifically. I put the PK in front of the goaltending. But uh, all in all, I think most people have their finger on it. But it's not just the decor. It's not just because Ian Cole ain't here anymore. Let's not turn him into the greatest defenseman of all time. Okay, like he's a component that I wish was still here. I still would have made the trade. It's unfortunate now that Broussard is hurt too. We'll get an update on him hopefully tomorrow since they didn't have the practice today in Jersey. But, yeah, I think his absence is hurt, but I think it's beyond that defensively. It's beyond the decor. The forwards aren't playing well defensively either, as Mark just pointed out when he was on with us. Let's see what some of you say moving forward here on the show. 412-333-9939. David calling from Ligonier. Hi, David. You're on 105.9 The X. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I just wanted to ask you about uh, Riley Shahan. His his numbers and minutes have fallen off uh, a lot since that Broussard trade. I mean, he was solid up till then. I, I don't know, Sullivan's not playing him as much, but he's, he's been like non-existent since that Broussard trade. Yeah, but we all knew that was going to be the case because he was going to be bumped down from the third-line center to the fourth-line center. And now if Broussard is out for a bit, he'll be elevated back up to that role. I don't think, though, in the last six games, David, that Shahan has been the biggest problem, specifically since Broussard has had points in each of the last six games. Oh, I agree. I'm, I'm just saying that, yeah, I mean, he wasn't the 
he's not as good as Tassar, but I mean, he's still solid. You know, I mean, it just seemed like his minutes is well, they have fallen off a lot. Yeah, they have. I mean, he he dropped down. I think something from like I don't know. He's averaging somewhere near like nineteen minutes or something like that, or. Uh, Phil, he was down to like nine minutes since the Broussard trade, I think is where he was, about nine minutes. Let me look here. Actually, I can look it up. Since the trade itself, he was averaging in the month of January anywhere between 16 and 17 minutes. Got up, He actually got up against Florida in the 6-5 loss. He had 20 minutes and 21 seconds. On the 27th against New Jersey, he had nine minutes and 47 seconds. His ice time, for the most part, is wobbled uh, right between 10 and 14 on a good night. But those were overtime games. So in that 10 to 12 range. But, of course, his numbers have gone down. We expected that. And his points are going to be the same when he's playing with lesser players in the fourth line. Uh, I, I don't see, especially over the last half of this stretch, the issues being a lack of productivity from Riley Sheehan versus Broussard when Broussard has been on a six-game point streak. I can't assign that level of blame. Joe calling from Ridgemont. Hi, Joe. Hi, how are you? Okay. Um, issues I have, uh, the stretch passes. Um, we don't we don't come up ice as a group. We try these long stretch passes and give the puck up at the center ice all the time. And uh, the other thing is the physicality. There's no physicality at all. They don't check anybody. They don't they don't hit anybody. Uh, they stick check all the time. It, it's ridiculous. They are increasingly less of a physical team. Yes, I would say that. I mean, to the point that, to me, they're the most least physical team in the league right now. And they don't... the other thing, well, here's where that's count. <laughs> here's where that's counter, Joe, actually. It's not just that. It's that other teams who don't rely on physicality anymore have caught up with speed. So you don't have to be physical, but if you're fast to get away from everybody and use that speed effectively against everybody else, it masks your lack of physicality. But if other teams are close to as fast as you now, or at least catching up in that context, well, then your lack of physicality to hit those guys when they have the puck and bump it off of them when they've gotten it from you, yeah, it tends to manifest in a negative way. 412-333-9939. RJ is calling from the Parkway. Hi, RJ. Let's do that again. RJ, Jan? Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's a uh, combination of a couple things. Like Mark said, uh, as a core team, the defense is, is definitely slacking coming towards the end of this this season run here. I think it's a combination with line changes as well, constantly going game in and game out, switching off lines. And three, I think it's they're just exhausted. You know, they're looking like figure skaters out there, all flooding towards the puck as one opening up holes for the defense to just get pucks through. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't want to assign the uh, physical exhaustion thing whenever we feel like it. Like, I, I went off about that yesterday. I think, like, we act like they're tired when they're losing. We don't say they're tired when they win. We pick and choose when we want to put that on, but it actually makes more sense now than it did at the start of the year. That's my opinion. Because now you've played a lot of hockey going into the season. Like It made more sense to me to say that they were really tired against Montreal in 2010 after back-to-back cup runs and then going through another regular season and then flaming out in the playoffs. Okay, that made more sense to me then than it did to say, okay, they're really tired at the start of 2017-18 when they weren't playing great. And all of a sudden, what, they weren't tired anymore when they started playing better in the middle of the season? Come on. So I, I don't look at that per se. What you just said there, though, about, and I'll tie this back to the, um, 
the, the physicality point that the previous caller brought up. I, I thought Mark in his column in the Trib alluded to something that makes a lot of sense. You're seeing them get caught on a lot of pinches defensively. The defensemen are pinching all the time, and when they do that, not only are they pinching all the time, they're always going for the puck, and they're not taking the body at all. They're not absorbing the body at all. They're not playing the body at all. I think that's where we've seen a lack of physicality occur and tactically turn into negatives for Pittsburgh. One more. Joe calling from his car. Hi, Joe. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 X. Hi there. How are you? Good. Um, I just want to just call in about, you know, it seems like the past few seasons, the Penguins have had this relentless forecheck that made us very difficult to play against. It seems that we lost that this season, at least in my eyes. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's fair. I think they potentially have fallen in love too much with their own power play, like to the point that, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. In the past, where they've had so much talent, we felt like their power play is underperforming. We blitzed them for not having the power play perform up to the level that we think, and maybe we forget the fact that they're playing better five-on-five, five, but it was because of things like that forecheck. And maybe now some of the offensive numbers are due to, as Mark pointed out, how good they were on the power play, and they think they can score whenever they want when they get the man up, but they're not getting on the man up anymore. They're not drawing a lot of penalties, and when they deserve to draw penalties, they're not being called, and then they get sucked into what you're talking about, which is the forecheck not being as good. Yeah, and I, I mean, I even remember, uh, maybe not last season, but the season before, you know, there's guys like Haglin, you know, Murphy dumping the puck in that you would think would be icing, but the speed, they would, you know, they would beat the other team to the puck, they would, you know, get icing calls waved off. Um, and it just seemed like they were always so relentless. Like, it never really let up. Yeah, and I think that sometimes, Joe, I don't know how you feel about this, but when people say forecheck, the first thing that jumps into your head is big forward running down and crushing defensemen. And, and that's not it. It's winning the race to the puck. It's taking the puck away in the corner. It's making a play out of the corner and finding somebody in front of the net. It's, uh, you know providing support when there's a battle, being the second guy in on a one-on-one mm-hmm. battle. like Those are elements of the forecheck beyond crash and bang, and I think sometimes that's lost in the basic analysis. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's that's kind of how I view things. And I think sometimes we oversimplify and say, well, the Penguins don't have a good forecheck because they're not big. Well, they've never been all that big or physical, but they've done the forecheck effectively in other ways, and I think that's the point that the caller was getting at. 412 412- 333-9939 or tweet me at Tim Benz PGH. More hockey talk to come before the top of the hour. Also, another very important football rule change has taken place in the National Football League. Important, not so much in terms of wins and losses or how games are played, but how you might win or lose your money gambling. That's coming up next before the top of the hour. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. This is Mark Madden. It is. A double N, big fan. I think there's a better chance of me and Selena Gomez being parents to triplets. The X at 105.9. This is the Mark Madden Show on the X, brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. Miami Dolphins wide receiver, former New England Patriot, Danny Amendola, has dumped his girlfriend, Olivia Culpo, what I know he's going to Miami. What's he think he's going to do? Upgrade? She was Miss Universe. Do you go up from there? Yeah, Miami Beach. I get it. It's a target-rich environment. There's more of the one of her, but the one of her is really good. And apparently it has something to do with the fact that she posed naked for SI. He dumped her because of that? What, are you, out of your mind? I would have made those photos my screensaver and showed everybody I know. Yeah, whatever. He's a patriot, still, in my eyes. What am I going to do, feel sorry for him? 
Uh, quick note here, because we've only got like a minute or two before the top of the hour, and uh, I saw this on Pro Football Talk, and I had to bring it up. Two funny things about the rules changes. Remember I told you about that helmet rule change? Apparently, the competition committee didn't tell the NFLPA it was doing it. Like, it just said, hey, we're doing this. And the NFLPA is like, huh? Like, do our defensive players get anything to say about this? So apparently they're not thrilled. And then on top of that, here's one I guess people did agree on. Uh, remember when Stephon Diggs caught that crazy touchdown pass against the Saints and the Vikings won in the playoffs? And, of course, that changed the gambling lines and the over-under and everything else. Well, the Vikings took a knee for the extra point. They had to bring everybody out so the Vikings could take a knee for the extra point, even though the game ended. And apparently the NFL is now saying that it won't do that anymore. Here's from Pro Football Talk. While such plays have no outcome on the results, they do have impact on point spreads. The Vikings went up 29-24 on Diggs' touchdown. An extra point would have covered the 5.5-point spread bookmakers laid out for the game. But they didn't do the extra point. They snapped the ball, but Minnesota just took a knee. So in an effort to put the news out there without making it look like they're pandering to gamblers, the NFL said they're doing this because of tiebreakers. Because teams fighting for playoff spots that involve point scorers, points allowed, and net points, that comes into play. However, they only come into play if the teams are tied after considering head-to-head, divisional, record against conference opponents, and common opponents. But I know. I know. It's not about gambling. Of course not. All right, Justin, Joe, Adam, everybody on hold to talk about hockey and the Penguins and the problems they're having. We'll continue that in 30 seconds. Oh, and the problems the Steelers might be having, getting Le'Veon Bell to sign a contract. Because if you missed the news, he's asking for more money now. We'll get to that, too, in the 4 o'clock hour. Tim Benson for Mark Madden.